As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and with me today is a friend of the show with the journalistic bona fides of an established news agency, but not the name of one. It's Jeff Reuter. Hello, Jeff. Uh, hi. Um, yeah, I had to add the phonetic name to my Twitter bio. Did you I think really? It was about half a year ago, because folks like you kept saying Reuter. I mean, but that's not right. I mean, it's not. I don't know what you're talking about, and I don't think there's any audio evidence that exists of me saying your name wrong a whole bunch of times with Daryl correcting me every time. Yes, it's Jeff Reuter. We know that now. We also know that Jeff is a a wonderful reporter and a wonderful person, Uh, but I'm excited to talk to you because we, at least I, have not talked much MLS on the show, certainly not much NWSL or USL. We're going to talk all of those things. Mostly, I'm going to ask questions. Jeff's going to talk about them. But I want to start with the obvious place, which is Nickelodeon. How do you not? Uh, the <laughs> NFL uh, showed showed a game on there or some games on there. They made it sort of child friendly. They had some different elements that I thought were pretty, pretty solid. I know you did as well. And I know that yes. you now have an article about this very topic. Yes, we do. Uh, Brooks Peck, Pablo Maurer and myself uh, yep. designed the first MLS broadcast on Nickelodeon. We used the beloved Columbus crew and the beloved New England Revolution for this game. And we went through an entire game of how this should work. I think that the NFL did their best with their meager resources. However, a league with so much clout as Major League Soccer really can branch out (laughs) and get more creative with it. So we created Nickelodeon allocation money nam if you will we we have clarissa explaining it all including a lovely photoshop pablo made of clarissa explaining targeted allocation money we have sliming in three different moments of games we have the var official looking like the spongebob eyes bulging out hunched over meme as he's looking at the uh the var monitor it's a mess it's a beautiful mess and it, it felt like the right piece to drop as uh, we are waiting a possible <laughs> second impeachment of the same president uh, within the span of a year. So perfect time for it. Everyone, everyone will take this with some great severity, this piece. Yeah. And um, 
no regrets. I got to say that that like triple threat that you listed there is really the perfect one for writing an article like this of yourself, Brooks and Pablo. Uh, that made me very excited. The topic itself made me very excited. Everything you just yeah. described uh, does not tamper that expectation. You're right that maybe you're going to get some serious responses of, you know, this wouldn't really work and this isn't feasible. And I don't understand if Don Garber would like this or not. Uh, that does I'm feel... Sure that- We'll get some responses asking why we had this end in a tie. And I'm sure that we're going to have some fans of, say, the crew saying we beat them like a month ago. So why can't you just let us win this game again? And we got better, which they have gotten better. So there we go. It's very serious. There are people who have been like, why? Why didn't you incorporate this? Why haven't you thought about this angle? I think that you could do it a little bit like really taking it seriously, which, of course, when you hear the names Pablo Marver, Brooks Peck and Jeff Reuter on the same byline. I think, I think, yeah, this is a rock solid true story that we should all put a lot of uh, faith into. You have yes. been doing some more like like reporting, reporting, which is also what we want to talk Too about. Much. We're going to move from slightly jokey MLS to uh, serious MLS. Uh, yes. I wanted to start off by asking where we are in terms of the labor dispute. I know we've got the January twenty eighth deadline. How are things right. progressing? Things are not progressing, okay. which is, well, they are and they aren't. Like, yes, they are progressing behind closed doors, which is how every single thing in American soccer works, right? It progresses behind closed doors. You ask for updates and suddenly it all drops on you at once. So on Tuesday, we're recording this on Wednesday. On Tuesday, Major League Soccer held a press conference. Don Garber held a press conference, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, which is pretty rare. He only does a couple availabilities a year he'll do one at the all-star game he'll do one at mls cup and usually yes if a stadium is opening if an expansion team is debuting he'll be in that market answering questions sometimes there's a national focus on those but by and large he doesn't call a press conference and in this press conference he was talking about the deal which is actually public and and talking about how he saw it as very fair very reasonable for the players putting the brunt of 2021 economic losses onto the owners, which means that Major League Soccer's players would get 100% of their salaries for the 2021 season. The the caveat there is that it would extend the agreed upon CBA from February and then again in June and July into two more seasons, which would then delay increases in the salary cap, delay revenue sharing potential from TV deals, uh, delay the minimum salary rising so that in 21 and 22, it'd be the exact same as it was in 2020. So there are still points, sticking points for both sides. I think I, I don't see this, this proposal, which has been reported out pretty detailed wise, mm-hmm. um, detailed wise is a word, right? I'm <laughs> sure. I'm a writer, Just add a hyphen and sure. we're like, yeah, that's a word. It's fine. It's my word. Yeah. I own that word. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I don't think that exact version will be agreed upon. However, I do think that the fact that Major League Soccer is willing to have this discussion while keeping 100% of player salaries for the 2021 season does show that this isn't necessarily going to be MLS just asking for more, asking for more, asking for more without conceding anything. Okay. I will reveal my ignorance multiple times in this show, but I'll start here. Uh, that proposal, your coverage of it, your breakdown of it, which was very good, it made sense to me. It, it felt like they're making sort of the best of a bad situation. They're doing what they have to do given the the pandemic and the world we live in. And then you go to the comment section where it feels much more negative, which is, you know, 
often the case, but in this in this case, it felt like every single one was this is Darber or Garber manipulating the players. The players need to go on strike. I think Don Garber should go by Darber, by the way. Uh, and, yeah, and, and Don and, Darber also works. <laughs> and I'm like, so for, I don't I don't know if you feel comfortable answering, but like for you personally, does yeah. this feel like an okay solution to things as they are, or are there other things that you would like to see the league do or the players kind of try to force through? I don't know if they needed to spring the force majeure. Okay. So there's there's the side of this where I am not a business person. However, my understanding is that a side will never include a clause unless they think there's a remote chance they will want to spring it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised. However, it was very clear on the day that this broke in late December that not every MLS owner wanted this clause to be invoked. Not everyone wanted the force majeure. Not every owner felt it was necessary to go back to the table and rehash out the CBA. I I think that the, the summer negotiation between the two sides left some serious scars on that relationship. I think that the players walked out feeling a, a bit disillusioned. And I think that we've reported on that pretty thoroughly at the athletic where, where they felt that, you know, if if you go back to the table a third time, how much good faith mm-hmm. is there really in this? How much are you truly working for your labor force or trying to work with your labor force to move both sides forward, to move the game forward? And how much of this is just you saying, OK, how much more money can we get? So to that effect, yes, I understand the commenters who are saying uh, players should stand firm. Why would you agree to this? The hard part is that. MLS is still not as much as it's made progress over the last five years. Right. And and that part, while you might be kind of naive or blissfully unaware of some of the current things, like you are very aware that it is a very different league than it was six years ago. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um, So in that respect, uh, it's still a league that needs to carry positive momentum forward. And it is still a league that while, so much of it, and I think we might have talked about this last time, but so much of what the selling point is of Major League Soccer is fans in the stands, mm-hmm. is the supporters section. It's basing your advertisements around whatever chant uh, they originated or used the most frequently. And then you have that going. You have goal highlights. Then you go back to the fans with their scarves up and their arms out, whatever. Like every single MLS team's commercial or MLS commercial is the exact same in that respect. So, yes. Being able to keep momentum going while you don't have fans in the majority of your stadiums and those that do don't have many fans, I think that it's understandable that MLS feels like it it has been set back. I think that shouting out a billion dollar loss across the league from 2020, I still don't quite get how many zeros you had to carry in that and how many fours, whatever, to be able to get to a billion, because I think that there are some, some frankly bigger leagues in America who have also set a billion dollars. And so if you try to compare the two, it's pretty hard to see how MLS gets to that point. But I do think that it is necessary to, mm-hmm. let me back up on that. I don't think that there's anything necessary from my perspective because I'll just report on it. But mm-hmm. what I will say is that there is some urgency to ensure that you do not go into a work stoppage, whoever initiates that. Because at that point, if you are the league that was unable to keep playing during the pandemic, that would do much more harm than good, unfortunately, for both sides, which then does also mean that these talks, while there haven't been counterproposals sent back and forth, at some point they're going to have to accelerate because there is more at stake for this league right now than there are for most leagues, uh, either North American sports leagues or for major soccer leagues across the world. 
uh, I think you you you've maybe just answered it, but I wanted like go back to it for a second. So the the deadline I think is the 28th of January. Don Garber was asked about this, said we don't plan to go past that. Like that's the deadline. It is what it is. If we did approach that date, which side do you think has more leverage? Which side do you think maybe is more okay with the work stoppage or uh, I think you said earlier, like neither side is really going to want that to happen. Is it the case that it's kind of bad for both of them? I think it's bad for both, but I think it's worse for the clubs. Okay. And it's it's because the players, at least unlike a decade ago, are making living wages. <laughs> so which, which means that they <laughs> do have yeah. more leverage inherently. They're not necessarily as worried. And I'm, I'm also covering another you know CBA negotiation going on with the USL where these players do not have that luxury. And so it, it's more difficult to forecast them having that sort of a leverage. Uh, and so they're taking other measures to try to create that leverage. But with the players here, it's the third time they're at the table in 12 months. No player likes being at the bartering table. I, I promise there are very, very few who enjoy this, mm-hmm. if any. Um, and so in that respect, I, I think that they look at it and say, like, we just need to move past this. We need to stop giving the league the option to bring us back, to stop asking for more. Yes, it's a, they keep acknowledging and, and they're very upfront about saying, like, yes, it is an unprecedented time. Yes, it's a difficult moment for everybody. But why are we the players who still a lot of us make less than $100,000 uh, why are we the ones who are being asked to take cuts when you are multi-billion dollar ownership groups um, who should be able to brunt that burden? So in that respect, I think the players have less, yeah. just less urgency to cave, right? Whereas in the past, maybe they have caved. I think 2015 was the most famous example of that three days before the season started where they just suddenly agreed to whatever deal was in front of them. Um that I don't think that that's quite the same dynamic anymore. This truly does feel like the first time where it's clear that the players have... I was talking about this with somebody who who works for a club in the league. Uh, this feels like the first time the players have had that significant amount of leverage, uh, possibly in the entire history of the league. Okay. All right. So that, that feels slightly positive i feel like we're gonna try to find some positives here we may not always succeed Uh, i also wanted to ask about the force majeure itself uh you mentioned that maybe it wasn't necessarily absolutely necessary uh for folks who are less familiar i asked my wife who is a lawyer she said she used to remember what a force majeure was then she looked it up we discussed it i feel like i've got a (laughs) decent understanding of it my 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 like way of describing this essentially it's like an act of god right it's like an unforeseen thing that means uh fans can't attend it's a disruption of the natural process of things that's what the pandemic would be right. uh and so that allows them to basically say like it's an extraordinary situation it requires extraordinary uh adjustments why do you feel like it wasn't necessarily like 100 what they needed to do in that moment because i i think that I mean, when you talk about an act of God and you talk about the unforeseen um, collateral damage that Mm -hmm. is caused by that act of God, it's different when you foresee it. And I think what's interesting about this is that last summer we were already in the middle of COVID-19, right? We had already had three months of play being stopped. And then the force majeure comes in here. So what some people have an issue with, who both cover the league, are involved in this, is saying – we we knew it was coming. And, and so in that respect, there's just a sort of 
kind of a, a, a yeah. living in an alternate reality where you're saying like who could have possibly thought that this would have extended into 2021 it's like you know, when you read back to your uh like your text in march if you ever do if you just want to feel sad again just like scroll back into a conversation you had work related and like i was going to go to a usl stadium for their season yep. opener in early march and and we had to text in it's me and the pr person for that club and it's it's saying like you know i would love to go maybe in a month this will clear up and I'll be able to make it down there. And I did not make it down there in a yeah. month, if you believe it. Uh, so in that respect, you know, you, you saw it coming. <laughs> that, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. I, I would equate it to like if you have like two parcels of land and one of them is on fire and then you like wait and wait and wait and wait and then the other one catches fire and then you're like, oh, it's a crisis now. It's like, well, didn't you like, see the crisis you happening? Yeah. Right, OK, right. that makes sense. And, and, yeah, and so in that respect, there's something that feels just a little disingenuous. Uh, the, the the general council fo- council council the the, the PS five at MLS headquarters uh, <laughs> or Roman president, number- either one, whatever. <laughs> Right. Uh, There are a number of different conditions that would trigger the force majeure. One of those is that I pulled this up, by the way. This isn't me reciting it off of memory. Um, One of those is that being reasonably foreseeable that there would be material limitations on fans attending matches. One of the litmus tests for whether it's reasonable or foreseeable is whether or not it's happening with other sports league today. And as we all know, there continue to be material limitations on capacities in stadium. And we believe that for the foreseeable future, based on what we've been hearing from medical experts and others, that will persist into 2020. 21. Mm-hmm. So them coming back to the table basically means that they're much less confident that they'll be able to host fans at any point in 21 or a significant portion for a significant amount of the season for 2021, which is what they are claiming is the reason why they needed to invoke this. And then for the season itself, uh, I think we were supposed to have preseason beginning later this month. That feels unlikely. January. Yep. A week before this 30 day. Hmm. All right, then. So what do you think, like, do you have ideas as to the timeline for this coming season, when it might start, when we might actually have preseason? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I had a feeling. And I won't fall into the pitfall that all of us got into last spring, where we kept trying to say, like, oh, it feels like it's going to be mid-April. I'm just going to tweet that. And then everyone retweet, retweet, retweet. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to watching this. And then it goes to mid-May, and then it goes to June, and then it goes, right, I don't think it's necessarily going to get kicked down the road. I, I know that, I mean, the NWSL is looking into or they will be having a second Challenge Cup so that they're able to at least get games early on as they are working on forecasting a return to play in May is their current target. I think for MLS, they are still bullish on being able to play in markets starting in mid-March. But that's already two weeks later than they originally had uh, said that they were expecting mm-hmm to start just a month ago so they already have delayed their timeline a little bit i think that players have not been told that they need to report to preseason for the 21st of january i think that that date is still a bit fluid as well the the ongoing talks now the being brought back to the table has certainly made some of them less excited about that prospect and I, I think that we're just kind of back to a little bit of a, a wait and see game as far as when these games will restart I have Which more, fun, right? <laughs> it is. And I have like more sort of negative questions. So I'm going to pivot to something you said earlier. You mentioned Columbus and I think you said that they were even maybe stronger at this point. So I did want to ask about some of the offseason moves. If you have a few that you particularly enjoyed or if you think there are some teams that have done some pretty smart things so far. I think that the most surprising move so far in the MLS offseason has been the trade of Corey Baird to LAFC for $500,000 of allocation money over the next two years and an international slot um, and future considerations. Because Corey Baird, 
had very little to work with in his final year in Real Salt Lake. And he will have a lot more to work with in terms of service playing in LAFC. And so he is somebody who could be, uh, he either is who he is, right? And he will be a very good kind of two-way player who plays on the front, is able to press from the front, uh, is able to help facilitate the attack, maybe won't show up in the box score, or he's going to be like a 10 and 10 guy. And, and that is a very realistic possibility in terms of goals and assists. So it is very interesting to see what's going on with him. I think Kevin Molino choosing to leave Minnesota United to get uh, the same amount of money, if not less money, from the Columbus crew speaks volumes about what's going on in Columbus. Uh, him and Bradley Wright Phillips will come in, and that that's a huge boost to the attack. Yes, they still need to figure out some other parts of the field, but it's very hard to look at the 2021 season and not think the Columbus crew are the front runner at least in the Eastern Conference, if not in the entire league. Um, I think that Kellen Rowe to Seattle, which I reported yesterday, is a, a sneaky interesting move. I think that there's some actually some really good potential for him to... I mean, he hasn't been like a 12 goals plus assist player for a few years now. And I think part of that is moving around in 2019. Part of that is 2020. Uh, he, he just wasn't a regular starter in New England again. But Seattle has such a good track record of taking these kind of like domestic MLS veterans, like the, the Will Bruins of the world, and getting so much more out of them than they were playing the two years before they joined. Kellen Rowe is still only like 28 or 29. Like, wow. he's still... He still has a few years where he's going to be able and he's played like 16,000 minutes in the league. Like, I, I think that he could be a very good pickup for them. Um, and, and that's just the interleague stuff, mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm, I'm not even talking about the the international transfers, which are being very much slowed right now by the visa process with um, uh, with COVID and with mm -hmm. the current administration and everything as well. It's, it's very slow to get that turnaround time, which is why you're not seeing as many international signings right now. But I think that in terms of domestic moves, uh, th those are some that I think could have some serious impacts on, I, I guess, three teams that are already seen as early contenders, mm -hmm. but All that's right. why they're contenders, I guess. <laughs> this episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You, you mentioned uh, like Corey Baird's departure from RSL. Uh, are there any other maybe larger uh, departures from RSL uh, that we might be seeing <laughs> in the near future? Uh, in, in terms of perhaps a league owning the club? Maybe that one. Yeah, maybe that one. Yeah, maybe that one. I think I'm kind of dodging that. Is it, do you say his name as like the two first names together? Do you say it as Deloy or do you say it as Deloy Hansen? 
I always say Deloy. Okay. So where right. where are we? I'm asking but you a lot of like where. I him in person either, so I don't know. I mean, you, you never know how he would respond, and you never know what he would say. Seems to be I what I have I read. I don't know how he'd respond. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think if you found out you were the athletic, I think I know exactly how he would respond. <laughs> I think I do too. Um, I, I keep asking you, where are we? What's the update? Because I look to you for all my knowledge. Can you give us a quick refresher on what happened with the team, with Deloy Hansen, and where things stand yeah. currently? Yeah. Um, Deloy Hansen uh, ran his team with racist and sexist abandon. Um, the culture at Utah Soccer Holdings, it wasn't just him. It was higher up executives as well. Um, look, that club used to be like a model club in MLS. Mm-hmm. You know, the the whole ideology of the team as the star, uh, which was, was successful. I mean, they won an MLS Cup. They made it back to another one. They won a U.S. Open Cup, if I recall. So they, they got so much out of it. But then Hansen bought controlling stake of the team brought Utah Royals in and while the results in the field didn't necessarily show it, RSL was kind of oscillating between being a playoff contender every year and being a year away as they made coaching change after coaching change. Real Monarchs won the USL championship in 2019. Utah Royals uh, were a, a fervently supported team at the bare minimum and often did pretty well, or at least were competitive during games. Um, although they never quite reached that upper echelon, uh, yeah, the, the culture at the club became shocking. And, and there were some very, very longtime key employees who just left because they couldn't handle working in those conditions. And, and we're not just talking about, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about ticket reps. We're talking about people who work sales. We're talking about people who work at stadiums. But we're also talking about people on the sporting side. We're talking about uh, like people who make decisions and acquire the players who are suddenly deciding, you know what? I can't do this. We're talking about scouts. We're talking about coaches. We're talking about uh, some very important people in the club who just couldn't work under those conditions anymore. Right now, as of the past week, the the sale of the team is no longer in Hanson's hands. It is being controlled by MLS and um, like a, a bank that works in selling sports clubs. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> the All business right. side is why we have a side vertical that does the athletic business. Um <laughs> I like that approach. That's, so, that's a good way to be. I do, I do too. I do too. Uh, there's nothing imminent as okay. far as I've heard. There, there's no there's no prospective owner that's the front runner. You know, there's there's always that sweepstakes whenever Mike Ashley uh, feels like he wants to sell Newcastle. There is no such party right okay. now uh, for RSL. Um, Utah Royals, of course, already relocated. They will now be Kansas City. Uh, FC Kansas City, Kansas City FC. Um, they have their their branding for the 2021 season. They'll work to get permanent branding for 22 forwards. So they've already lost one club. Monarchs will still keep playing in the championship as of now. Who knows what's happening with that season? Um, <laughs> it's it, it's really too bad. It, it really is unfortunate because that was a club, again, that had so many good people, not just like very exemplary at their work, but just fun. The the stories that are coming out of there just of like what used to be from like the, the I guess the Jason Christ era for up until 2013. Um, just tremendous. And it, it's really unfortunate to see what's happened with that. But I, I think that the league is determined to make sure that the, the good times roll on still in Utah with whoever buys the team next. I don't disagree with anything you said there. I think the one knock against them would be that they used to employ Sam, and I don't know if I entirely trust that. <laughs> um, 
what, one thing, like, I don't know if you could even speculate on this one, but I never really thought about it. I was always confused by Laura Harvey leaving the Royals to take the U-20 job. That felt yeah. not necessarily like a step down, but it was not the the senior team head coaching job that I think she was maybe targeting or maybe like gunning for at some point and may still in the future. And now I wonder, like, do you think there's a possibility that it was the sort of situation there with the owner maybe made her more inclined to take another gig, whatever that gig might be? Yeah, and I think if you look at Royals' uh, transaction ledger over the last couple of years, you'll see that as well. I think that 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 was not a club that was terribly hospitable for its female athletes, and it definitely drove quite a few of them away. Uh, You did not see many black women playing for that team by the end. Um, It it was – I think that there was a situation where professionally Utah Royals was not – was a club that by the end – players potential staff hires whatever we're told be careful like there is it isn't going to be like a, a business as usual sort of operation unfortunately and and again so much of that has to do with ownership and the higher-ups and just the overall culture at the club um when you're looking at the, the broader umbrella and you're including rsl and, and i guess monarchs in that too um i i think that in in harvey's defense there's always going to be a draw about working with the women's national team it still is the most visible uh, women's team in the country. Probably it's the world, right? I mean, yeah. like it's the most visible women's program in the world. So if you feel like you have a foot in the door getting in there before Jill left, Jill Ellis, maybe there was a thought that it, it could help boost her chances of getting that sort of role or getting a, a role in Flacco's staff. Um, I mean, there's, there's still all that stuff up in the air, but yeah, I, I definitely do think it would be um, not too speculative yeah. to assume that, Club culture played a role in that move. Let's talk a little bit more NWSL then, since I know you were also uh, covering that with Meg. You all wrote a, a yes. very great piece that did its best to handle the insane amount of news that, that happened yesterday. Too Lots. much. Too and much news. I initially wanted to start with Sacramento, but I actually want to go to – I didn't realize that you asked the question about U.S. soccer and the relationship that led to sort of a like – Wait, what? Yeah. What happened now? Uh, let's talk about that. So Le- Commissioner Lisa Baird confirmed the league and U.S. soccer are, to borrow, I think, your phrase from your article, slash from Gwyneth Paltrow. They are consciously uncoupling. So thanks to Gwyneth Paltrow for that. What does that mean in terms of the league structure, but also in terms of the salaries that we know that U.S. soccer was uh, subsidizing for those national yeah. team players? What does all that mean now? Yeah, it, it's funny because in that press conference, like Meg is – in my opinion, the best soccer writer in the country. But Meg is still one soccer writer yeah. who is trying to cover an entire league plus an entire national team, and it's just a lot. So I, and I also been, always needs to know when the schedule is dropping. We've established always, this. always, and I will ask her that anytime I write NWSL <laughs> content with her, as I did in this piece. Actually. You did. Um, I enjoyed that <laughs> in writing. Uh, yeah. So I was on there with Meg so that we would be able to get a more holistic because mm-hmm. uh, on those sort of Zoom press conferences, in particular, you get one question, it cycles through. And there are so many outlets on like a, a league wide that you only get one question. So unless it's, you're it's a former a national team player, in which case you can get three or four <laughs> That's right. yeah. you get, or maybe 20 you <laughs> yeah, knows, or yeah. or you can steamroll through the other way. Some people will just be like, I have two questions and ask two very unrelated questions yeah. back mm-hmm. to back. Yeah. And a couple it's follow a, ups real quick. <laughs> yeah. And a couple follow ups. Yeah. And they'll just take 20 minutes of this phone call. <laughs> uh, so 
In that respect, when I ask, Lisa starts her answer, Commissioner Baird starts her answer by saying, um, you know, like, in, for, for those of you who don't know this, we are no longer managed by U.S. soccer. And I'm just like quietly typing in Slack to Meg, like, did I ask a dumb question? And she was like, we did not know this. So, I, dude, I hate when that happens. And I'm like, am I wrong here? I didn't know that either. And then it's like, OK, I need right. the reassurance. I'm glad Meg provided you with that one. <laughs> Right. So so the I guess the, the easiest way to look at it is just the training wheels are off now in this respect, because there was some urgency when the NWSL started to make sure that this league would last after some of its predecessors had its issues, um, Magic Jack or otherwise, uh, in, the, in the case of WPS. So in that respect, what they wanted to do is have a league which the Federation would be helping manage, ensure stability. Um, I mean, contributing the U.S. Women's National Team player salaries obviously was a, a big thing, especially early on, the allocation to ensure some sort of parity, that sort of a thing. Um as of this season, it is an owner-operated slash commissioner-led league rather than one managed by the Federation. The difference in that is going to be that any decision made by the league is with the league's best intention in mind, not always the national team. And you can see the pros and cons of that immediately, right? Because on the one hand, a league should focus on the league. And you've seen this so painfully with Major League Soccer. You've seen this so blatantly during the Jurgen Klinsmann era with how many times there would be media, oh, I yearn for these days now. <laughs> because at least that was like league controversy slash uh -huh. league drama stuff that was kind of fun or funny, right? <laughs> like there yep. were just shades of humor in Jurgen Klinsmann and Don Garber take going to the media at each other over and over again. Um, in very so like passive aggressive, mildly catty ways. Yeah. 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 Like I yearn for that in 2021. <laughs> I really do. Um, simpler times, simpler times. Simpler but times. I, I think that there's a big part of it where you look at it and say, okay, the NWSL has cleared that proverbial will they make it or not hurdle feasibly, right? Like, of course, things can change. But right now, it's it's looking very stable. They continue to grow. They have two more teams coming in in 2022. They have another team coming in to make it an even 10 in 2021 with Racing Louisville. Um, so I, I think that they look and they say, okay, we have the, the critical mass of owners. We have the critical mass of clubs where we're able to be in control of our own destiny. We don't necessarily need to be running this as a farm system of sorts for the women's national team. Uh does that mean that there are going to be some issues moving forward? Of course, but there there were already, right? It's not to say that U.S. soccer necessarily is the best arbiter of the best interests of women's soccer. We, A very fair we point. We have seen that blatantly plain as day over the last hundred years. <laughs> you, you pick how long, right? So in that respect, it, it makes a lot of sense for the league to be focusing on its own uh, there will be some initiatives that need to change. I think that the draft is going to need a restructure. Of course, the the press conference with Commissioner Baird started with uh, a question about all of the women's national team players who continue to sign with Abby Dahlkemper being the last one mm -hmm. or the most recent one, not the last one. She won't be the final one. Um, so in that respect, that is going to be something that the the league wants to reckon with because it wants to ensure its best product moving forward. But I think that they do see this opportunity of being in fully in its own control as being a positive. Otherwise, they wouldn't move forward yeah. with it, right? I'm glad. I'm glad you brought up the player. I shouldn't call it an exodus, but a lot of players sure. leaving for uh, the women's super league. And is it the women's super league? I always get this wrong. The 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 FAWSL, right? Women's. Yes. Yeah, okay. Cool. Yes. Got gotcha. Uh, awesome. There we go. Thank you. Said with uh, a Boston accent, <laughs> which so I did we, not do a Boston accent. To be clear, that I wasn't mean, my. 
I, I appreciated any attempt at an accent. Uh, but we've we've there are a number of, of very talented Americans playing in that league. So it was interesting for me to hear you say that the league is looking very stable. Like, do you not see those two things as like mutually exclusive? Can it be that they're losing kind of star players to that league, but at the same time, does that allow them to like look for talent elsewhere? What, why do you think it's right. not maybe quite as big of a deal as it might seem? Yeah, because I, I think that the a lot of the teams in England are still establishing themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, uh, Kristen Preston, Tobin Heath signing with Manchester United looks really cool on Twitter, right? Or like the jersey is going to look very cool. Manchester sure. United didn't really start their club until a few years ago, right? Right. Yeah. So it, it's not necessarily the same. It, 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 it's not the same as men's soccer where these clubs are the pinnacle. And if right. you're able to get Matt Miazga to Chelsea was the first example and by far the oldest example I could have pulled out of my head besides Jeff Cameron. But if you can just get him to that club, who cares what happens? That's a victory for New York Red Bulls. It's not quite the same sort of thing because England is playing catch up in terms Mm -hmm. of women's football. Football. Look at that code switching I just did there. I like it. Uh, So in that respect, it's not necessarily as if England is inherently ahead of the curve. And so you, you look at... Yes, you can look at the the Sam Mewises who are going to England, or you can look at the Christie Mewises who are staying at Houston and are able to earn their way back into the program with an incredible 2020 season. Mm-hmm. And I think that being able to be confident enough in your own ecosystem where you don't necessarily need to only have the top dogs or whatever to just force this metaphor way beyond its <laughs> its lifespan um, – if that's the case, and if you're still able to have fans buying jerseys, fans who want to watch on CBS Sports, fans who still want to support the league, who are asking Meg when the schedule comes out, who are reading content, which they are in droves, um, that's better than if you are so reliant on the only way people are going to watch my team in Washington is if Megan Rapino suits this weekend. Yeah. Or the only way that Washington spirit has a chance is if Rose Lavelle stays. Otherwise, we have no idea what we're going to be doing. You know, if you can move past being so player dependent and you're actually good on a club front, you are a much better league for it. Um, If you're a vehicle for your star players, there's a finite number of star players. And if you don't have those players, your team is in danger. That is not a, a good place to be in terms of a league. With all that said, I did want to ask about those players coming back. In the past, we've seen that sort of in the offseason, you have players going to Europe, you have players going to Australia sometimes and then coming back mm-hmm. for when the uh, NWSL kicks off. How much of that will there be? Or is it like the Abby Dahlkemper one, as you said, I think two and a half year deal. My assumption would be years. then that she is there for two and a half years and won't be coming back in the offseason. Right. Okay. Right. There are some. I mean, you look at Alex Morgan's not staying at Tottenham. Right. Okay. And that was always going to be a short term loan for her to get her um, her fitness back, get back to playing professional soccer um, way better <laughs> than anyone who is a new parent, male or female, should be. Yeah. Frankly, uh, as you would know much better than me, by the way. I mean, um, I, I would. My wife would probably agree. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, I, it's incredibly difficult. Right. I, I've been watching uh, like. I'm, I'm, I was sort of pot committed to Vikings, the show on the History Channel. Like I, I oh, watched I it long enough that I was like NFL team in my backyard, and I was like, "That's a terrible investment of your time." But yeah, okay. no, I've I've picked worse uh, NFL teams than that. Uh, but no, and like, and there's they always do this thing where like the, the female characters in that show give birth, and then like two minutes later are fighting and running around, and it's like, yes. no, that's not how it is. I guess unless you're Alex Morgan, in which case maybe you can do that. So Alex Morgan is a Viking, is I guess what I'm saying. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Alex sure. Morgan's a Viking. Yeah, plays perfect. in Orlando. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, look, there are still going to be some players who want to come back, right? And I think that there are going to be some players 
over time, if this all goes according to plan, I would imagine there will be more opportunities, more camps, more friendlies for the players who are domestically based than the players who have to make their way across the ocean. Uh, you see it with the men's national team as well with all like, I mean, this current camp that's going on in January is basically an MLS camp, right? You're not seeing um, players leave outside of international windows. So in that respect, maybe there are more opportunities for the domestic players. There's still some benefits there. Uh, and ultimately, if what you're going to run into then is if you're signing with Olympic Lyon, if you're signing with Barcelona, if you're signing with Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, some, you know, some of these the truly best clubs and you're not getting starts or you are a squad player, you always know that you can come back to the NWSL and be the star player or be you still have a longer shelf life in terms of your career longevity. Uh, so that option will still be there for these players. Absolutely. Um, but I yeah, I think that overall, it, it's also finally an opportunity where you can try playing in another country and you aren't obligated to try to be carrying the future of league soccer on your back <laughs> as they have been doing for so many years. And I'm sure that's just refreshing, too. It, 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 and honestly, it starts to feel like it's a uh, it's maybe like a like a, a leveling up that you have to get to as a league. There's always like on the men's side, you'll see that with like is like England losing too many players to Spain is the Netherlands right. losing too many players to Spain is like like you always have that sort of thing and so maybe that's just the story we needed from the NWSL is like are too many yeah. players leaving becomes the narrative whereas I think to your point you could focus on all the positives including the expansion uh, we've got right. Louisville coming in as you said we've got Angel City and then we have Sacramento let's talk Sacramento yes. for a moment uh, another one that I think you you uh, you all were inquiring about Sacra Sacramento officially uh, confirmed that his expansion team for 2022. I'm mildly confused about the ownership situation because I like seems... sacrificial. Sorry, <laughs> Sacramento official. Yeah, that was great. It accidentally became sacrificial, which is perfect. Actually, right. we got a sacrificial announcement. We don't necessarily have an official announcement on who is going to own that team. Is it still like the speculation is that it's the same ownership group of MLS and NWSL? Or do we know anything uh, more specific than that? All we know is that the principal owners of the MLS group, which is Ron Burkle and Matt Alvarez, are also involved in the Sacramento group. It is being uh, talked about as if it's an in-house thing, similar, I suppose, to Portland Thorns, Portland Timbers, right, uh, of being, I guess, two siblings in the same house. Uh, but the lack of specifics around that announcement uh, that came in the middle of a press conference, which was not expected necessarily by anyone who was attending that conference. Um, it It is interesting. Uh, we had just put out a report on this past Friday uh, saying that the MLS group missed right. a deadline to sign its franchise agreement and that there were interested parties in buying the franchise slot for the NWSL, specifically within California. I mean, look, interest is as valuable as the seller is interested in selling, right? That is bigger news always. And yes, there are parties that would love to bring professional soccer to California uh, within the Bay Area in particular. But if Sacramento still wants to have an NWSL franchise, that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. So they still are working towards it. It sounds like 2022, I would imagine they'll have to play in a temporary venue. They still haven't broken ground as far as I'm aware on their rail yards stadium in sacramento which will be the home of the mls team and presumably also the nwsl club um they could play at papa murphy's park which is like an eleven thousand seater which is where the republic and the usl have been playing for a few years now, or have been playing their games mm -hmm. um that would be a suitable venue at least for one season uh there was a line where lisa baird said 
you know, talking about the the ownership group and the the absolutely stunning stadium in Los Angeles. And if you've been there, you know just how amazing it is. And I'm sure Sacramento will tell us they're playing soon too. And it's just like, ooh, <laughs> we don't know much, do we? Okay, um, so we'll yeah. see. I don't know. It's coming to Sacramento now. It's 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 on the record, which means that if it doesn't happen, uh, there are even more questions to be asking that I won't know the answers to probably right. for a while. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. It, it also seems like you all asked some questions. I, I'm making it sound like it was just you and Meg, obviously other people on this call, but it seems like Lisa Baird was asked some questions that she maybe wasn't as prepared for or was maybe hoping not to be asked. One of them was about uh, the league's work with the Black Women's Players Collective. It sounds mm -hmm. like you and Meg from your article weren't as pleased with both her response and what the league has done so far. Are there things that you would like to see them do or, or maybe more to the point, what do you think they haven't yet done? Why weren't you as pleased with her answer? I think it, it you don't like to necessarily compare the main leagues within the United States against each other because they have such different roles to play and they have such different operation styles, all three of them. However, when you look at how much uh, I don't want to say freedom because in the context it is not the right word, but when you look at how much. MLS has enabled the Black Player Coalition to be able to, whether it's demonstrations, whether it's leading conversations, whether it's being, um, you know, pushing the league forward. It, it, I mean, they won the Humanitarian of the Year, which is voted on by media and clubs and league executives alike, which means that people tend to support what they're doing. You've also seen this with the Black Players Alliance of the USL, where they have been included in the conversation. It isn't just a storytelling venture, which is something that can be done by outside publications or club websites alike. It's, it's about actually 
ensuring whether it's implementing an improvement on the Rooney rule that you need to have a minority candidate interviewed for every single job, whether it's uh, ensuring that staff hiring has similar um, demands in terms of being a diverse pool of applicants, whether it's actually questioning the league's executives, whether it's working to ensure that within their communities, players and clubs alike are encouraged to be going out and trying to bring a more diverse pool of children, for example, into the game because it has been such a country club sport for the last 20, 30 years in this country. Um, You've seen much more of that groundwork being laid in Major League Soccer in particular than you've seen with the NWSL. And the fact that the best answer that could come from that press conference, and again, like you said, maybe wasn't prepared to answer this question, Mm -hmm. but the best answer that was ready was we're still in ideation mode after... I mean, we're seven months clear of George Floyd being murdered in Minneapolis. We are many more or fewer months, but many months clear now of Jacob Blake. Similar, we are even further removed from Breonna Taylor being murdered in an NWSL market, I guess, with Louisville, um, you know, it, while she was sleeping by the police. All of these things have continued to happen. It's not as if this isn't it's not as if yeah. we, it's not like the league doesn't see that, that there's urgency or that this is something that uh, Wait, has racism not been solved. Right. I know. Like you, you would have thought, you know, I would have voted for Obama for a third term. Um, <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, you, you really would is have that thought. A, is that a deep cut? Uh, 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 what's the what's the movie? Get out. Thank you, Jordan. I was thinking yes. us. And I was like, no, it's not us. Thank yes. you. Naturally, well done, I quoted the white guy. The white dad is uh, my yeah, reference. Point I, I think that's a that's a fine reference point. It's yeah. probably a, fair, right? It's um, Bradley Whitford. He's a good reference point for most people. Sure. Bradley Whitford is actually a very good reference point yeah. in general. Good dude, as far as I know. Except um, in that one. Spoiler alert. But anyway, yes, to your point. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. So if you haven't seen a movie that came out four years ago and won an Academy <laughs> Award for Best Screenplay, you should probably see it. Um, anyway, it's not as if this is catching them off guard. It's not like this is a, you know, a quiet issue that no one's talking about, right? Like, y- yeah. you have seen in the WNBA as well, you've seen what can happen when teams when players are able to speak up and you can see with the Georgia runoffs just how much impact these athletes can have you it's impossible to know exactly how much the uh the impact of the Atlanta dream had however when you see Kelly Leffler losing uh, yeah early on you know the owner of that the co-owner of that team it speaks volumes if you're enabling your players to do that if you're working with your players to know what they stand for and you're not getting in their way about it uh there's so much more that can be achieved than you and I can ideate mm-hmm. um, as to society. Well, white man, uh, you, you can't. Um, and, and like, look, I, I can bring in my different perspectives from the queer community. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's also a part of it where you just need to let your players read the room. Mm-hmm. And right now we're not sure that the players are in the room. And that's the thing that we need to know is do they know which room they should go to? Uh Do they know that the room has an open door? Do they know the code if it's closed? We don't know any of this sort of stuff to, again, beat a a metaphor beyond its uh, uh, its expiration date. I I think it's useful. No, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. And that 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 really does kind of help crystallize it a little bit. So so thank you for that. Uh, I did. sort of uh, intentionally make Jeff laugh in the middle of that. So I apologize for making Jeff laugh in the middle of a serious uh, thing. Uh, but I do want to ask about maybe a slightly less serious thing before we go. And it will be another what do you make? It'll be my final what do you make of the situation in North Carolina with uh, North Carolina FC dropping down to League One. Specifically, how much credit should be given to uh, my local The Richmond Kickers for the self-relegation plan? <laughs> 
Um, actually, a fair amount. Yeah. Because I think if the Richmond Kickers, a lot of people had written the Richmond Kickers off in 2018, had just completely assumed that they would go the way of Penn FC, would go the way of the Rochester Raging Rhinos, and that they were the other club that was kind of this like legacy mm-hmm. club. Thank you for all you've accomplished. Unfortunately, we're moving forward at a faster rate than you can keep up. That's how a lot of people looked at the Kickers as well, and and they immediately recognized that league one was an opportunity to cut costs. There's, I think you pay about half as much in franchise or in a annual dues, but also the player salaries are lower. The coaches' salaries are lower, low, uh, our lawyers uh, are lower. Um, you know, so, so yeah. there are financial savings by moving down a league. However, the kickers have also been, uh, stable ever since. And, and they've moved players on, they have sold players to championship clubs. So that transfer market has started to, uh, a little bit. Right. So yeah. like all of that stuff is it, it shows that you can do that and people will still go also. And I think that there's this theory for a while that um, that a league change would matter more than it does. I supported a lower division club. Minnesota United used to be in the NASL. And then when they moved to MLS, I, I buried my fandom, which is very easy to do when this sort of move happens. Um But people aren't hung up on I'm a fan of the USL championship. Right. Or I'm a fan of the League One. I'm a fan of Nisa. I'm a fan of the NASL. Yes, there's a few. There's always a few. But by and large, the fans are there just to go watch professional soccer in their home market Mm -hmm. and go into the sporter section and sing some songs and have some fun and eat some Skittles. That's why people go to these games. So the league change didn't hamper them in terms of uh, viability within Richmond. And so in that respect, I think that North Carolina FC saw an uncertain future for the 2021 season, has had some difficulties for a couple of years now, uh, especially since they left the NASL, but not because they left the NASL. They didn't pay an expansion fee to get into the USL because NASL clubs, uh, after the league folded, moved over for free, Um, which also means that they won't be able to sell this franchise charter. But they are able to drop down to League One. They still have professional soccer in the triangle, which is good. That is a market that has been... Um, so good for it, but it is sad. I, I think that the overwhelming reaction across USL circles has been, um, I mean, look, they were a second division club, whatever the league was for 14 years in a row and they're dropping down to the third. And so it's, it's a warning sign. It, it's something that I think a lot of people are very concerned about just in terms of wondering why the owner, Stephen Malik made that decision because he also owns the courage who are moving on as forward, full steam ahead, no changes, no cuts or anything. Um, so they're wondering what he sees. They're wondering what Herb Simon and Reno saw when he folded his club. So there are some open questions that mm-hmm. the league has been dodging and, and doesn't want to answer no matter how many times I reach out. But <laughs> what, what's, uh, the, what's the, what's the difference then for you between like the kickers doing it for, I would agree with you, very solid reasons. They're able to be more competitive. Mm-hmm. They, I remember talking to one of their former coaches about why they'd moved on a player. And I had this whole theory about like, he didn't quite fit and you were trying to do this system. He's like, no, it's just money. We can't afford him. Other like, and they were like very low down in terms of the salary. In League One, they're much more competitive. They can they can do different things. It also allows them. They're playing at a stadium that hadn't been renovated in like it used to be University of Richmond's football stadium. They built their own. Now the kickers have it on a long term lease, but it needed a lot of work, and they're able to do I think sure. a bit more of that. So there are to your point the positives when you do self relegate would be the term, but sort of I think understand your reality. What's the line between making a smart choice to keep yourself functioning and successful versus this is a warning sign, this could be a a crisis situation? 
2021. I think that's the difference is that in ahead of the 2019 season when League One was launching, there wasn't a mass of six clubs that you were looking at saying, are they all going to make the drop? I think people were actually surprised that the kickers made Mm -hmm. that. I think a lot of people, I could probably find a tweet of me thinking that it was a bad sign for them. And of course it's been a great sign. I'm sure I had something like that. Um, Uh, It it was hard to believe that it was a good idea at the time. I think hindsight and a new ownership group, it makes a bit more sense, but yeah, because I think to your point, you don't care about the league until you're not in the league as much. When it's like, yeah, they're in the second division. Yeah. That's great. Once you find out you're going to be in the third division, it is a bit more like, oh, that's a bummer until you're playing in the third division. And then it's like, oh, we won a game. That's exciting. Oh, they scored a goal. That's also very right. exciting. Right. Cool. Let's make you that. You show up and it's the same soccer rules. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'll watch <laughs> yep. other grown adults play that sport still. Yeah. Uh, even if they're different grown adults. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or teenagers, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I I think that the difference, though, is that you've already had two clubs fold, two clubs that were seen as not kind of just scraping by when you're talking about St. Louis FC and Reno. You're you're seeing two clubs that were, uh, in St. Louis's case, incredibly well supported and had a legacy U.S. academy with Scott Gallagher as their partner. With Reno, you had the full sporting side of it funded by... Um, San Jose Earthquakes, and then it was owned by the owner of the Indiana Pacers, Herb Simon. So you look at that and say, like, okay, stable. And both of those are gone for 2021. And so then when you see, with that context, when you see North Carolina dropping down, you start reading the tea leaves and you're, you're squinting and you're trying to see, okay, were there two or three other clubs in those tea leaves as well that huh. I should be looking at, right? Um, and the league meetings are next week, uh, Mark your calendars uh, from like January, I don't know, 18th or 20th to the 22nd. And then they pick up the week after this board of governors meetings. There are some teams that are. I like that you said that dismissively, like you didn't know, and then proceeded to list the exact specific dates of when it was going to occur. Like, oh, I don't know. It's like like roughly the 18th uh, to the 22nd. Vaguely, yeah. it's, <laughs> vaguely, the first session starts at 10, 15 a.m. Eastern, 9, 15 Central. I don't know. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been invited to this thing, actually. So um I've had to find this out through channels, but I, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll go to this. They'll, they'll have some board of governors meetings. They'll have some, some decisions to be made about club futures, possibly sure. But also just how does the league look this year? Competitive format schedule. What are we aiming for? All of that stuff. So you should finally, for, for people who follow the USL, it's been very quiet for the last couple of months, except for some club signing players and coaches. Uh, you should finally get a little bit of clarity on what's going on for 2021 by the end of this month, hopefully. All right. I think that is all of my serious soccer questions I had for you. One last one I will spring on you. Uh, it seems like, you know, you're, you're dealing with, uh, I would assume, a Minnesota winter that is a Minnesota winter. Uh, there's lots of serious news that isn't always the most fun. What, what, are you, uh, what are you watching? What are you drinking? What are you reading? Like, what's, your, what's been your uh, stress reliever of late? What am I watching? I don't know if you just heard some sound effects. Oh, no, I did not. Started? Okay. Uh, so if you hear a whirring in the background, now if you I heard a, da, 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 that is, uh, that is our Roomba, which has woken up and oh, woken nice. up our Greyhound. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Winston has been uh sanity saver, our Greyhound. He's a 10 year old rescued racer who's passed out on our rug. Um, <laughs> what have I been watching? Bob's burgers, because it is yes. so, it is so just like saccharine and fun and you leave it and you're not like sitting here thinking like, oh, this is difficult. Oh, this reminds me so much of the state of the world. No, we, you just sit down and you're laughing and it's great. So it, I am with great. you on Bob's Burgers. It is such like it. I explain it as like it's like half Simpsons, half family guy, except that everybody is nice. Like, yeah, you have yeah. a few. But even the mean characters are sort of 
good-natured at heart. It's a very sweet show. And the Harry Truman song is one of my favorite things that's been yes. on television in the last like, 20 years. Uh, if it's you don't know what I'm talking sick. about, you're missing out. You should look it up. You should definitely look it up. Um, I have gotten into this kick where if I just need to wind down at the end of the day, I will pour a bourbon and I will watch some mid-2000s action movie. Nice. Yeah. Like, just so soothing just to, like, watch and just be like, oh, the graphics in The Mummy are terrible. And you're laughing at that, but it's, like, redeeming. Or you're watching Mission Impossible, you pick. And it's just like, oh, that would never happen. And then you're like, oh, I'm not thinking about the state of the world. I'm just going to go to bed. So right. that has been helping me a lot. Uh, Music-wise, the new Kid Cudi album couldn't have come at a better time, except for now I want to go to house parties again, which is unfortunate, but he has that effect on people. Um, I'm still listening to a lot of Los Campesinos, still listening to a lot of... Uh, what am I listening to? I don't know. Um, Meg texted me... Oh, I, I rediscovered the Veronicas yesterday. Do you remember uh, Untouched by for the, the Veronicas? No. From like 2007? I mean, I, I, would I do it. not, but now I, now I kind of want to look it up. I would play it, but I don't know if <laughs> it would find it on copyright. So maybe yeah. I'll just send it to you after we stop recording. Sure. Um, but but that has been leading me down a rabbit hole of like pop punk. I, apparently, I'm just reliving the 2000s because I like it. <laughs> I was a teenager then. Simpler so times. It, it was simpler times. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like it just it felt better. Um, Sons and Daughters is the one that Meg uh, reintroduced me to this morning. And that was very good as well. So. Yeah, I don't know. It, for me, it's less it's been less. I think the moral of this is it's been less about finding new stuff because it's so influenced by the present moment and just like finding stuff that makes me feel OK, because right now I need that. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. All right. So for people who want to follow the the Jeff Reuter model, not Reuter, uh, Kid Cudi, Bob's Burgers, Bourbon, Adopted a Greyhound, List of the Veronicas. That's about it. Oh, that's perfect. That sounds that's great. There we that are. All right. Interesting. Cooking a lot. I've been cooking a lot more. Not just baking, but like actually like working on how to make ribs and wings and stuff by myself. We've it's already great. gone long, but I'm just going to continue. Are you? Can you make bread? Joe and I talked about this. We both tried to yeah. make bread this week, and we both failed miserably. Oh, I can. Yeah. Uh, we we inherited a sourdough starter that sadly did not make it through the summer. So I need to start a new starter. All right, can we can we talk about this? I'm sorry, I have to interrupt for a moment because yes, this is up I, there. I'm not in time crunch. If <laughs> listeners, if we're probably done talking about soccer, yeah. We if we do, it's are. probably not serious. So uh, thanks to our advertisers and now the bread extended edition. It's 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 that and it's uh, – we I we use cast iron. I do have that like – I never fully know if it's entirely clean. I know you're not spo- supposed to use yeah. soap. But like right. the, baking, the baking of the bread, the sourdough starter is the thing that like Alexis tried to get me super into. I tried to do it and it's just like you have to use so much flour every single day or every other day. How do you have the diligence to do that? I bought a 25-pound bag. Uh-huh. And you just keep it going? From, from a local mill, right. And I was just like, oh, cool. Here, have a little. You know, like what? <laughs> and uh, my wife is a chemist, which helps. So she, she works at a brewery. She makes beer. And she comes home and feeds flour to this living thing of flour okay, and yeast and water. And All that's right. just like. It, she does that. I make the bread. We all stay happy. All right. So um, the key, I'm just, in, I'm continuing to write down Jeff's notes. The key to baking bread is marry a chemist. Is that correct? Marry a chemist. Perfect. That is all correct. Right. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. I'm glad we know this now. 
<laughs> no, I made um, I made I made like a, a a rye loaf, which I thought would be like a big expanded yeah. rye bread. No, a uh, loaf is like a dense thing, and it was so yes. big and puffy from the yeast that I was like, oh, I can put it into a bigger container, and then it shrank back down, and it's this weird, sad, like bread barge oh. looking thing. It didn't quite work out. It's good. It tried its best. It you did. know, it tried its best. The bread, <laughs> not you. You, I mean, you did too. You did too. Aww. But the bread tried. It really did. It, it made the best of it. And as long as you ate some of it. <laughs> everyone's happy. I appreciate the the head pat. You did your best, fella. So thank <laughs> you for that, Jeff. You also did your best in a much We're more... all doing our best. <laughs> we I think are. that that's the other thing that I've just I've like there are days where I'll just be like I have a headache for no reason. Yeah. I didn't have a white claw yesterday or five <laughs> or however many. I didn't do any of this stuff and I still feel like just state of the world hungover, I guess. Yep. And just own it and say fine, whatever and there we go. do do your best. Yes, yeah. that's, that's Talk about some NWSL and watch Bob's Burgers. There we are. Well, Jeff Ruder, thank you so much for talking about all of those many topics with me today. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, all fun. All so much fun. Reporting on American soccer right now is just a barrel of laughs. But uh, thank you for sticking around and and shining a light on it. I appreciate it. Uh, Listeners, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you again soon.